0: Independent Left. dot news. Indie. What's up, Indie? Indie News Network. Indie. I
1: got news from
0: Independent Left.
2: Independent Left. News.
1: Independent Left. dot
2: news.
0: Indie Left Media. Independent Left News. Indie left. left. Independent Left News. Independent Left Media.
1: Indie Media. Indie Left. Indie. 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 Indie Left
0: News. Indie Left. Hi, Indie. Indie Left News.
1: Subscribe to Indie
0: News Network. We're world building. Your your way of assisting, I feel like, is really cool. IndependentLeft.news. Independent left news. Independent left news. A huge fan. He created INN The founder of uh, Independent News Network. Indy is the founder of Indie News Network. Thank you,
2: Independent Left. News.
0: A huge thank you and shout out to Indy Left.
1: Everyone check out Indie Left News. Hey Indy Left. IndependentLeft.news.
2: Indy. Hi Indy. Indy Left.
1: Indy Left news. Indy news. Independent
2: media. Independent left news has done an amazing job. Well hi everybody. Uh hey, it's Sunday night. It's Indy and uh I got I got this guy sitting next to me. Um I'd see we got Hello. some fam already in here. Well, hi everybody. Um it is Sunday night and it's how Do we miss that? And I'm psyched. Uh I'm I'm excited to be here. I got some really killer stories to go through. Um and some interesting ones tonight. Uh uh how, how you doing, dude. Hungry, huh? Doing all right. How are you? I'm I'm chilling. Uh, uh, uh. So uh yeah. So we got fam here. We got Lula victory. Yes. Congratulations to Lula and and to the party down there. Thank goodness. I guess uh we we did not want to see Bolsonaro win win again, and uh, it was a razor thin margin. Apparently, I'm seeing like less than two percent difference between them. You know, fifty point eight seven to forty nine point one three or them, like that. Gira, Anthony, Rick, Colin, Arifasan, Haiti. Yes. So oh, the uprising in Haiti and and the fact that the media just won't go. unfortunately we're not going to have a chance to get to that tonight but but, but again uh, uh prayers and shout out to everybody uh, uh you know
0: in in Haiti and I think obviously mean that's Colin planned to Wednesday.
2: Oh good. Good. Well, yeah, that's right. We do we've got a special guest uh book for, for INN News that, that's going to cover it uh, with Colin, and I think he's going to cover it either way. So good stuff. Uh, we hey, are live Bruce, over. Oh, 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 you're going to drop Socialist it. The... MMA. You were going to drop it? Drop it, Socialist MMA. Yeah, already... Colin's in the chat. Uh, can I be uh, – Indy we can, can be me for Halloween. Already, pick.
0: So...
2: Um, can I be me for um, Halloween? Um, well, it's kind of funny because th- – if you knew who I was, I actually my fam. I made the newspaper or like a local online thing. We all dressed up as as Greece, and and my daughters were like Sandy mm-hmm. pre and before, and, and and post. You know the the transformation, and my son dressed up as Danny, and I dressed up as a Thunderbird, and my wife's a Pink Lady, and it was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, uh, Reef, Fortunately, is dressed as a show uh, producer. Um- and, i'm a hand on face man
0: that's right i'm a hand on face man and and and, and, <laughs> what is it, the classic and he's a Adam handsome and,
2: and he's a handsome weed head i i guess that's that's his costume I'm fool on, but then again he's
0: on faith head
2: that's his costume every day willie bragg welcome welcome good talking to you last night that was a great conversation looking forward to uh appearing taking taking a, a, a gander on your show and t- having a conversation with you about a bunch of different things but Tonight, uh, we've got a bunch of things to get to. I want to get to it. So, How Do We Miss That? is a show, podcast, streaming live on Rockfin, YouTube, Twitch, Rumble. And we are on Rumble. How Do We Miss That? has a Rumble channel. rumble.com slash c slash how did we miss that. You spell it all the way out. We're also live on Facebook, Twitter. And we're on How Do We Miss That's Twitter tonight as well. twitter.com slash how do we miss that. And you have to cut off the T. And that's How Do We Miss That's Twitter. Uh, we're also live on Odyssey and Telegram. We're on Indie Left News' twi- uh, Telegram. Sunday nights, 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Available also on all the podcast platforms like Spotify, where we're now loading video podcasts. Um, Co hosted, uh, I'm, I'm Indie, as it says on the thing, but for the people on the podcast, I'm Indie. Hi. I'm founder and editor of Indie Left News and Indie Media.today. That's our Substack. And I got this guy sitting next to me, Reef Breland. He's INS technical director. He's a host of. Reef After Dark and INN News. Also, uh, we're both co founding members of of Indie News Network, a collaborative family of independent content creators, one of the largest out there. Love the fam! Shout out to Indie Network. Go follow all of our family and go check out all our channels there. And We're live on all the Indie News Network channels except for Rockfin. we only need one Rockfin channel. We don't need a second one for that. Um, okay, all the this-
0: Independent News Network.
2: All oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Very yes, thanks Warren. <laughs> um, shout out to Warren, extra buoy. I'm sure he's in the chat if he's not already. Uh, also to well, Nikki, radical on. leftist agenda. To all of our patrons, uh, again, uh, all the stories were included that we're going to cover tonight were included in Independent Left News between Sunday and Friday. It's impossible to keep up with this fire hose of developing news all week long, and our, ama- our amazing friends and partners in independent media do an ama- <laughs> I mean, there's so much to cover. They're hitting us from every angle. So we're just gonna pull a few stories that I really didn't see anybody else talking about very much, um, and again I gotta say a big thank you. We're nothing without the people that put this together, and that's Big Mad Crab who helps us every week with our thumbnails and all of our creative and all of our art, and uh, and Greg, you're you're amazing. He also does music and a whole lot more. Um, Jimmy Sunderland at Image Productions at Jimmy Saves World. Check her out. Uh thank you so much for that trailer again. Every week it makes me smile. Phantom Osphanto cuts our our our, video or the clips every week. Thank you for that. Fred Edward Resident Skeptic Chris Gilman at the end. Uh they're clutch over on the socials.
0: All right, so uh we've got stories to get to. But all the links to all the indie news.network in at indie news.network and like you know, hook some people up. We're all hurting out here, you know. And go to linktr.ee Billy needs help, Billy needs help. They're yep. all in that meet the members section You can find Tara. them in
2: here Shout yep. out to Tara She's got a big week ahead, stay tuned Um. <clears throat>
0: mm-hmm.
2: Yeah So, holy crap So let's get to it You can see my screen, right? You should be able to there- Hey, okay, so we're also, like I said, live on Rockfin I can, use the, I can put the Rockfin chat up We're going to turn it off because it's just me saying hi But anyway, uh, rockchain.com slash News. I'm going to keep promoting and keep plugging and keep trying to drive you to different stuff all night because we're everywhere. And people don't even realize that we're everywhere with different accounts and different presences all over. We're on Facebook and we're doing a whole lot of stuff over there. Instagram even. Hi, everybody over on Instagram. We do do clips once in a while for Instagram. We we try to clip up the show. We do do. We put our clips over on Instagram. We put the clips on Facebook. We put the clips everywhere. And we we do have a clips channel and that's over on the rumble rumble.com slash C slash. How do we miss that? And now we are live streaming to that channel for the first time tonight. So I rumble, how do we miss that for the first time? Cool. All right. So we got some stories here tonight. Uh, first one, and they're kind of tied together is Nord Stream and the turning off of Nord Stream and how badly Europe is screwed. Then we're going to talk about some labor yeah. and how much money they've got and countering the union busting. And then we're going to talk about uh film in the fuzz. And that's a, that's a friend. Uh, a subject I know that's near and dear to our friend Noli's heart. And uh, this is going to be an interesting one. So uh, we've got Oz in the chat. Hey, Oz, welcome, welcome. All right. This is this is what's going on. They're screwed. So how? Europe self-destruction, Patrick Lawrence in an exclusive for Sheer Post. All right. And ShearPost is one of the Indie Media Award honorees for being one of the top outlets. So definitely go and subscribe. Um to their newsletter and support them with a donation if you can. Like if the stream, that's right. Make sure to share the link, like the stream, subscribe to our channel, all the platforms you listen. Like I said, we're everywhere. Thank you so much, Anthony, for reminding me of that.
1: <clears throat> so mm-hmm.
2: you've got everybody there at the lady. The opening of Nord Stream. This was back in twenty eleven. And Dmitry Medvedev, who was the president of Russia at the time. Can we go back. Yes.
0: Go back. Why does that middle guy look like he's like... Hey,
2: that
1: guy looks like, what familiar. That,
0: no, other middle guy. Other middle guy. Middle of the thing. No? Yeah? Why does he look like that? Why does he have that face? He's got I'm a like, toothy, yes. grin?
1: Mm. toothy grin. Toothy like, yes.
0: grin. It's just like evil man grin. Like. Well. Anyway. Sure.
2: So. Absolutely remarkable. Western media's determination to ignore the recent Baltic Sea detonations, which knocked out the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines, Again, this was from last week. A major piece of this was before Russia has come out now and accused I mean and accused England or UK of detonating and, and destroying the pipeline. So this was they're still speculating and there still has been no official investigation that says it, but we're going to look at a little deeper as as to how, why, and what. So again, major piece of Europe's energy infrastructure. Joint property of Germany, Russia has been destroyed. Any chance Russian gas transmissions westward will be re- resumed as off the table. Continent now sent on a desperate search for new source of natural gas, inevitably at higher prices. I cannot think of many stories more significant. We, we've we heard all this before, right? The Western press mm-hmm. broadcasters have reported next to nothing about this monumentous development since the September 26th explosion. Wait, what? Because we've heard nothing but. All right, It's now clear that the media's silence reflects a larger silence. On October 14th, Reuters reported that Sweden has declined to participate in a joint investigation with Germany and Denmark. Wait, what? German television reported that the Danes also dropped out. So now we have a German minister stating that his government knows who's responsible for the the attack, but he can't say who it is. Uh, In all three cases, the explanation is the same. The matter is too sensitive to pursue, and doing so risks, quote, national security. Uh Uh-huh. Right.
0: So Of course it does.
2: All right. There will be no, invest, no joint investigation of Nord Stream 1 and 2 incident. And whatever Sweden and the others may discover on their own, they have no intention of telling the world about it. One of the reasons why Russia's now come out and said this. Now, unless you're given a parlor games that never end, it's nearly impossible to avoid, to avoid concluding that the U.S. was either directly responsible for sabotage or supervise those who were. If national security is an issue, it is plain that the Russians had nothing to do with it and equally plain that the culpable entity is nominally allied with Germany, but has no fundamental respect for its interests, of course. And it's not notable that Stockholm, that's Sweden, Copenhagen, Denmark, have decided to shut up about what happened off a Danish island close to Germany's Baltic Sea coast. Wait, what? It's shocking that Berlin has done so. I haven't heard about this either. Somebody just blew up a project worth $11 billion 10.8 billion, the Germany, uh, not dollars, but euro, the Germany, right, set in motion, and in which it has a majority share. And in effect, the Federal Republic has chosen to stand with what is almost certainly a state actor, as said actor impugned its sovereignty and destroyed not only its property, but also its energy sourcing alternatives. Yeah, That's pretty much what the German government is doing right now. So what are we looking at here? Well, my answer comes with a long story, of course, and that's Patrick Lawrence, who is one of the best, all right? And the truly big story Western media have left unreported. It's the story of how Europe has bowed supinely to America's dictates since the Cold War decades, even when this does the continent harm. And again, I don't think that this is much of a surprise, but lately it's a story of the disastrous told the U.S.-led campaign against Russia via its proxy in Ukraine, it's taking, it is taking on European societies and economies, right? Um, now we must wonder whether the story that began long ago turns out to end with the destruction altogether of Europe as an independent pole of power with a voice of its own and, just as important in my mind, of Europe as an idea and an ideal. We are risking a massive deindustrialization of the European continent, Belgium's Prime Minister told the Financial Times recently. So... Europe's creeping economic ruin is the most immediate, tangible casualty in the war in Ukraine, the U.S. provoked, and the sanctions regime against Russia. The U.S. leads and the European Union backs. Wow, it's a mouthful.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Right? The nearly incredible refusal of Germany and its neighbors to stick up for themselves on the pipeline question suggests that the larger consequence is the final collapse of all. Pretense that Europe is other than a collection of vassal states now subservient to the U.S., even at the expense of their own citizens. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, <laughs> evidence seems to indicate We're that. Fucked. Yeah, thank you, Misty. Okay, think about this the next time the Biden administration bangs on about the sanctity of Ukraine's sovereignty, right? And and how mm-hmm. they're literally silencing other countries from releasing an investigation about what's happening in the Baltic and what happened with Nord Stream because it would be an inconvenient truth. Wow. Sounds like a guy who might be locked up at Belmarsh has a similar issue. Um, But he was long, long among those who wondered whether uh, with a certain measure of hope when Europeans would speak up and act according to what they determined was the best for themselves. He spent decades at this. Yes. Remembers thinking Continent is done with Cold War binary Washington forced on the world. Yes, we thought more recently. Europeans will refuse to support the sanctions Washington's imposed on Russia after the U.S. cultivated coup in, in Ukraine in 2014. German businesses didn't want them. The Greeks and Italians didn't either. When they came up for renewal every six months as required by EU rules, they went through anyway. How about that?
0: Of course they didn't.
2: Right. Then Macron came along, yep. when he hosted the Group of Seven, and uh, uh, you know, three years ago, the French president tried on his de Gaulle act, declaring that Russia was inevitably part of Europe's destiny, and the continent must find its own relationship with its vast eastern neighbor. Well, yes, as I yes I said again, failing to see that Macron is little more than a squeaky weather vane mounted grandly atop the European barn. No was the answer in these, in many cases. Right, This topic came up again several, uh, some years ago during an interview he did with Perry Anderson, who's a British writer and publisher. Why can't Europe find its voice? He had an interesting reply. The last generation of European leaders with any experience of acting independently of the U.S., Churchill, Anthony Eden, de Gaulle, et al., uh, etc., passed into history during the early part of the Cold War he pointed out. Okay, so no generation since has any has experienced other than its dependents sheltering under the American security umbrella. They know nothing else. They have never spoken in voices of their own. And this is not to say that Europe has been entirely at ease. By the mid-Cold War years, there were signs of plenty that Europeans were, 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 were restive within the transatlantic relationship as Washington fashioned it. Right. The goal you know, withdrew French forces from NATO command in 63. That's, uh I believe he's talking about in Vietnam. Three years later, he ordered NATO to close all its bases on French soil. All right. Uh right. Three more years after that, Germany premiered its Auspolitik. Um Another year on, Willy Brandt became the first German chancellor to meet an East German, Willy Stolf. So, it's not like they haven't like gone against the US's wishes before. Let us not forget what was going on in the streets if you do not understand uh le, I, I don't know I I am I'm, I'm terrible with French but the the riots in le 1968 in ben- Thank you in Paris and in everywhere Paris? And, I don't know and and elsewhere in part of protest against the American imposed world order you don't understand 1968 Okay, again, but Washington, flushed with its post 1945 primacy in global affairs, had learned well by this time how to coerce its friends with a toothy American grin and whatever was required by way of money, bribes, fixed elections, political subterfuge, and all the rest. It had a nasty gift for force marching Europeans to keep them in line with the Cold War crusade. They're barely submerged, disquiet, notwithstanding. Yep, so basically they would coup leaders that were going against them. <clears throat> destabilize the country, and put in a puppet dictator. Wow. Hmm. Where have I heard that before?
1: So. Unity.
2: Right. Thanks, Richie. Were those of us, so so were those of us who wanted to see a freestanding Europe in its way, a bridge between West and East so often disappointed? Um, and so came my question to Perry Anderson only a few years ago. How come this? Right. And here we are with methane bubbling up in the Baltic Sea from what the BBC reports to be a breach of 50 meters, 164 feet, North Stream. Aha! Assuming American culpability of one or another kind in this crime, as I do not care for parley games, I make this assumption pending evidence, there's a straight line between Washington's capricious abuses of European sovereignty during the Cold War and the events of September 26th. A nation that licenses itself to intrude into Europe's affairs without more than murmured protests is a nation that will think little of wrecking an expensive piece of European infrastructure, especially when it has nothing to lose. And a continent that bowed down for decades during the Cold War is a continent that dares not say a word about it. So Europe's goose seems cooked on the energy side now. Said al-Kabi, the Qatari energy minister, said October 18th, with Financial Times, that for Europe to go without Russian gas will doom it indefinitely to economic decline and widespread suffering. I think that might be a little self-serving, but if Russian gas flows into the EU, he said, I think the problem is going to be huge and for a very long time. Um, If it does, or if it does, oh, zero gas, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, if zero Russian gas flows. So post-Nord Stream Europe is now at the mercy of Hard bargain contracts in the open market, where it will never match the price at which Russian gas would have flowed under the Baltic Sea to Germany, or it can make agreements with Turkey, uh, as Erdogan arranges with Moscow for, to turn Turkey into a depot for Russian energy exports. Um, let's put it this way: you don't want to buy a used car from the Turkish president. Never mind a multi-billion-dollar energy energy supply. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Erdogan's not a good dude uh-huh. all right and leave it to the Americans macron uh, uh, uh- Robert Robert Ab- Abtek, uh, uh, who is vice Chancellor okay. and 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 climate minister in the Shoals government right uh, and other European leaders are already complaining that American natural gas due to European arrived terminal uh, to due to arrive at European terminals is priced at four times higher than what it goes for in the US market Well, you have to ship it across the Atlantic Ocean, dude. Yeah. It costs money. It has been clear since the Nord Stream question broke out into the open during the Trump administration that capturing the European natural gas market from Russia was part of what drove Washington's vicious opposition to the completion of Nord Stream 2. We know this. I mean, look, Trump was, was opposed to it when Merkel signed the deal with with Putin back at, I think it was 2017 or 2018. I remember that vividly. I mean, this is not yes, just sir. a Biden
1: thing. I mean, both sides wanted to end this thing. So we have to think in terms, but we have to think in larger
2: terms to explain so bold a move as the Baltic Sea detonations. What happened? There's another part of this story that extends, that extends far back. As much as Washington feared the Russian bear... It fretted at least as much, and possibly more, about all those European impulses to achieve a stable settlement with the Sovs, Ostpolitik, which, what was called convergence, a third way, and under such notions, you know, that's the true enemy was a threat greater than the Soviet Union. It was the gravitational pull of the Eurasian landmass, and the perfectly logical thought that a sovereign Europe would find its destiny as its westernmost flank. Um meaning that they'd stop doing business with us. Preventing this by whatever means has been a submerged feature of Washington's transatlantic policy for decades. This is why a gas pipeline took on so so immense a significance for the U.S. and why whatever means just computed out to gross international crime and a full frontal attack on European interests. Right? It's pretty
1: stunning. To turn the gaze forward. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to keep reading, so go ahead. No, wait.
0: You go go ahead. I was just saying, like, this is the, um, between that dirty bomb stuff that's been happening and, like, being claimed and that what's happening in the Black Sea, right, with, like, British-led, uh, attacks on naval ships. Like, well, that's like except why that are we no, this close to like, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, that supposedly no ships have been sunk. There was some kind of an attack on something, but there's they didn't get anything. And no, no,
0: we are only kidding. It's nothing. We know do nothing. Where did the uh, video, <laughs> right?
2: Like... Yeah, but there was like drone stuff. Where's the uh-huh. photography? Where's the footage? Um. Okay, again, yep. to turn the gaze forward, the most discouraging aspect of the Nord Stream incident is a tie between two grim realities. On the one hand, it seems clear now that the U.S. is emboldened to do anything it likes to the Europeans to preserve its power over them, and on the other, it seems just as clear that the Europeans will take it in the way of the Stockholm Syndrome. Great. But this is not the end of the story. Well, what a surprise. Patrick Lawrence is not known for writing short ones. I can't even speculate on whether or when Europe will produce a new generation of bolder leaders with thoughts of their own. This is the age of Liz Truss and Olaf Scholz. Now, of course, Truss resigned like days later? Right, not Liz Truss.
0: (laughs) Uh,
2: But Rishi Sunak is no different, Mm. right? But looking further out, I do not see that the U.S. can bring history's wheel to a screeching halt, even if it looks just as, as if it just did. Macron was for once right when he asserted that Russia's destiny was with Europe and Europe's in an interdependent relationship with it. This is history's long, long, right? Plain and simple lingerie. Yeah. Lingerie. It's the long game. All right. I've never heard uh, any simple nation stopping it for more than a short while.
1: Right? It's, it's the long relationship. Um, yep hmm so who did done it
2: right so there that's pretty accusatory and that was like a few days ago i like think maybe a week ago again it's come out in the last that was eight days ago this was also eight days ago this is also looking at the, deductively who had the most to gain ah oh, we know i know that guy did it we knew it i know
0: that guy did it yep um
2: come on come on jimmy did it what? Yeah. F- fing F. Yeah, we know. Th- Are shout you kidding out- me? Shout out to Joe at, at STFU Shitlib too. Follow Follow Joe. Um, oh, one, two, oh, bitches. Yep. Hi Steph. Okay, so Ramesh Thakur from the Spectator AU, and I found this little piece uh, a couple days ago. I was having a Facebook argument with somebody, and they they were trying to insist that, well, because we didn't have exact evidence and they never did the investigation, and we now know that they will never do a joint investigation and why, um, that, well, it's all speculation and it's all Russian propaganda. Well, we're going to look at, you know, Occam's razor. What is the simple and most obvious explanation? And we're going to take a look at a couple different uh, breakdowns of that. Hey Bert, welcome on The Rock Van. What's up, band? Good to see you. Thank you for joining us over here, over on. How did we miss that? It's Sunday night. It is the end of October, and Reef is not dressed for Halloween. And, of course, Indy put on a, a, a new outfit a couple weeks ago, and we're still trying that on, so that's my costume. Um, mm. <laughs> all right, so Moscow, of course, blames hostile actors for last month's underwater explosions that blew up the Nord Stream pipelines connecting it to Germany. We know this. Western mainstream media has mostly accepted Russia's culpability. Okay. Uh, however, Michael Fuller and David Rundell note Newsweek, nearly 90% of the world isn't following us on Ukraine. huh. Don't hold your breath for an impartial independent investigation with four plausible suspects in classic thriller style. It's worth looking at means, opportunity, and most revealingly motive. Who done it? Yes, that's right, Colin. Reef is dressed dress as a pothead and he's good at it. And uh, he's he's extra smoky tonight. Um, by the way, if you go to Dr. And that Smok- was
0: spooky Red. Spooky.
2: Ooh. Almost orangey. Um, if you go to DrSmokey.cloud, mm-hmm. by the way, that'll actually take you to Reef's Linktree. It's hilarious. I don't know if he even knew that. Nice. But anyway, D R S M O K E Y dot cloud. Uh, anyway, so the, the sophisticated operation about Nord Stream, getting back to Nord Stream too, and not talking about reef smuggling weed. Um, sophisticated operation, of course, is, was likely involving a well trained and equipped Navy, special forces, technical planning, and specialist logistical support, had to involve one or more state actors. All four potential suspects fit the bill. Any country, with the means, would have plenty of opportunity, but considering the location in waters around Poland, Denmark, and Sweden, it would be more challenging for Russia than the others to escape complete detection. Regarding motive, it's worth asking a favorite question in crime thrillers. We bono! Okay? History is full of examples, full of powerful countries conducting false flag operations, provoking military incidents or issuing impossible ultimatums as the trigger to attack for an invasion. In the Mukden incident in 1931, Japanese troops bombed a railway under their own control as the pretext to invade Manchuria and establish the puppet state of Manchukuo. Manchuko Manchuko. Um, Yep. In 1933, of course, the the Nazis set fire to the Reichstag, and Hitler exploited that to rule under emergency powers until 1945. In 1938, Britain and France delayed a war by a year by appeasing Hitler's designs on Czechoslovakia in the infamous Munich Pact. We don't really hear about that much in school. I'll tell you right now. Um, in 1964, mm-hmm. two U.S. destroyers, of course, we know, were attacked off the U.S. Uh, off the coast of Vietnam. LBJ destri- describing it as an unprovoked, despite clandestine, this described it as unprovoked, despite clandestine U.S. activities in support of South Vietnamese sabotage inside North Vietnam, in, bleh, inside North Vietnam, got Congress to pass the Tonkin Gulf Resolution that allowed a steady escalation of the Vietnam War. In 1999, again, NATO went to war against Serbia because President Milosevic rejected the Rambouillet ultimatum on Kosovo that dictated the terms of political settlement between the central and provincial governments. Again, we're going back again all these times and we're we're breaking stuff and we're setting false flags. Again, in November 2002, Iraq agreed to comply unconditionally with U.N. Security Council Resolution 1441 that imposed tough inspections. Warden their desire to provoke Saddam Hussein to define the UN as the pretext to go to war, Tony Blair George Bush scrambled to fix intelligence around the, the decision to invade Iraq with as much illegality as Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Um, I mean, if you're going to say one is the same, one is the same. What they're talking there is yellow cake uranium, if I remember correctly. Um, so... Russia has the least to gain and the most to lose from the act of sabotage that destroyed a lucrative export lifeline and its main source of leverage over Europe. So why exactly? Yeah. In a tortured explanation, James Crisp in the UK Telegraph argues that blowing up the pipelines was a page ripped straight from Vladimir Putin's playbook of panic, escalation and misdirection. What? Yeah. Yeah. That will raise soaring gas prices and exacerbate the cost of living crisis in Europe. But Russia could. Fuck you. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. But Russia could have simply just turned off the valves without destroying a very expensive asset. Chris speculates further that the explosions could be a warning of what Russia could do to pipelines from Norway. Telegraph readers were not impressed. Right. David Anderson. Clarify Chris's thesis with words worthy of Sir Humphrey Appleby. Putin may or may not have done something which doesn't appear to make any difference, but perhaps he's doing it because he may or may not be planning to do something in the future. Yep. That about sums it up. <laughs> and then we've got Sir
0: Humphrey Appleby seems like a My Little Pony, like alt alt character. It probably that's, is. That's what it seems like. It probably is. You so know, it's like off brand My Little Pony has has Sir Roger Appleby.
2: So yeah. Ramesh Thacker is is praising here Tucker Carlson, Jeffrey Sachs, legend, and Joe Rogan are uh, who are among the few with the stature Joe and Hogan. courage Joe Hogan to discuss the possibility that the US may itself have been behind the blast. Count Jimmy Dore and Who are these of...
0: people? Yeah.
1: what? 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 Who are these people? Uh, uh, Joe! What's up, Joe? Oh, Joe
2: Joe, Joe Rogan?
0: Joe Hogan.
2: Oh, man. Okay. So, Victoria Newland, of course, we know Yats is the guy. Uh, She's a senior diplomat, and I use the term loosely, you understand, of fuck the EU fame during Ukraine's political upheavals in 2014. Insisted on January 27th that if Russia invades Ukraine, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward course we know that on february 7th president biden said that if russia invaded ukraine there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2 which was a weird jumble sentence to begin with there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2 yep. press to explain how well we will i i promise you we will be able to do it um
0: but what about the Nord Stream 3
2: well, we well see, about i don't that. think that's going to get built right now so poland's former defense Sometimes minister
0: we need trilogies right and that's of course hollywood loves Public of the
2: uh, husband of the Polish-American Atlantic columnist and Applebaum, who's a Russia hawk, Roderick Sikorsky,
0: deleted An- since deleted. Another My you. Little Pony character.
2: Well, we, well, wait a minute. But this is the dude that tweeted, thank you, USA, with the picture of the pipeline thing. Remember that? But it got deleted like 15 minutes later because it turns out that his wife's a diplomat or his wife is connected to something. It's like, oh, shit, delete that. Yeah. Roddick Sikorsky. His wife is a columnist for the Atlantic. All right which, of course, Russia immediately noted, and everybody noted. So, I, I okay, I, I must be a Russian asset. <laughs> Ridiculous. After the attack, Secretary of State Blinken said, it's a tremendous opportunity to once and for all remove the dependence on Russian energy and thus take away from Vladimir Putin the weaponization of energy as a means of advancing his imperial designs. Again, hilarious when you compare it to all the bases and all the places where we are trying to push American businesses and American business interests and do it militarily, primarily. Just take a look at what's happening in Africa and, of course, <laughs> Ukraine, where we destabilized their government in 2014, which Ramesh here had pointed out. So, um, this confirms that Newland and Biden's earlier remarks reflected a deliberate strategy. Okay, Jonathan Cook, uh, he's another Indie Media Award honoree. He suggests that if Europe turns a blind eye to evidence of the U.S. role in the explosions, it would denote an acceptance of vassal status. But would the U.S. really attack a piece of joint Germany-Russia infrastructure that is critical to Europe, coping with an anticipated harsh winter in which people fear having to choose between heating and eating?
1: Huh.
2: Listen to this. It's more likely the U.S. approved the attack and helped with support and planning without direct participation, which aligns perfectly. Again, this was on October 22nd. This aligns perfectly with what Russia is now speculating, okay, and on, on the 29th or on the 30th. So Poland has both commercial and historical reasons, okay, the Nord Stream pipelines would reduce lucrative transit fees for gas shipments from Norway to Europe through Poland. It's been at the forefront of efforts to help Ukraine with all possible means and uncompromising in opposing any concessions to Moscow. Of course, they're full of Nazis too. Speaking of Kiev, in August, President Duda called Duda Duda called for the liquidation, the complete dismantling of Nord Stream 2. Yeah. Yet the notion that Poland would risk a grave rupture of relations with Germany seems a little far-fetched. Ukraine, of course, had the least to lose and the most to gain from the explosions. It's a tit-for-tat response to Russian attacks on Ukraine's infrastructure. Uh, The victim of Russian aggression, already at war and determined to recapture lost territory on the battlefield or regain them through economic pressure, Ukraine is the least concerned with escalation that will entangle NATO and the U.S. directly do so they want to very much entangle US and NATO commercially Nord Stream enables the supply of Russian gas without having to pass through Ukraine a significant revenue loss and a, dimin- uh, a, di- a diminution uh, it should say diminution it's missing an eye of influence in Europe Right, geopolitically the damage deprives Russia of a critical lever to blackmail Europe Again, blackmail Europe. This is ridiculous. It's still coming from a Western source, so you have to look at the bias. Yeah, but he's getting it mostly right. Um, assuming the act is, you know, required close partnership with U.S. intelligence and military in training, supplies, logistical support, and crucial information, it will also enhance Ukraine's credibility as a potential NATO ally, which is why Ukraine didn't do it. But meanwhile. Ukraine is not a NATO member, and therefore Russia has not still been directly attacked by NATO, an important firebreak against uncontrolled escalation through nuclear threshold. Except that we're already at the break there, and I don't think that they really give a shit at this point. And now we get to a couple of graphics that I took a look at and that I did some research on Twitter. Again, I am not going to profess to the accuracy of these I'm going to say that logically, these look like they make a lot of sense. However, I'm not going, I'm not an underwater explosives expert. I don't profess to be. This is a graphic I found off of Twitter. You can see that at Chuck Farrer and Eric, Eric Wyman. I don't even know who they are. However, you can clearly see here that. One of the arguments that's yeah. coming from the liberals is that the Russians detonated this from the inside, that they sent a, a a motorized device, some kind of drone inside, and and exploded it from the inside to make it look like like somebody else did it, except that when you take a look at exactly how it was done, and the way the rupture happened, and the way the explosion happened, you can see here that, yep. again it's impossible to say that it happened from the inside. So that's first.
0: With the interior liner, like, still pretty intact there, too.
2: Correct. Right, and the yeah. and the steel peeled outward to perpendicular to blast waves, again, which only would have happened from yeah. the outside, but would have gone a different direction from the inside based upon... Had, mm-hmm.
0: Because that shape charge or whatever, like, you also have power of water which could easily cut through steel like that so especially if you give it a small fracture to go into so you know those things will be like water razor blades pretty much yeah Um,
2: okay so right so you're looking at the gas flow coming this way them setting off those charges i don't know what the difference of the gas flow is just understanding which way this came out um, so that was an interesting one I found and then of course we have this one <laughs> this was not from Ramesh, sorry I didn't. I forgot to take that out from the slide I found this one on Twitter, who hates Russian pipelines USA, who tried to stop being built, stop being built USA, who said they destroyed them USA, who benefits from their destruction us, who destroyed them we have no idea oh, we have no <laughs> Blue Moon, Red Wine, what's up, Lucy? How are you? INN fam, go check out her channel. Everyone go subscribe to Blue Moon, Red Wine if you're not already. Okay, I'll wait. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to wait. But go subscribe to her channel and come back. So, Mm -hmm. actually, you can click on her name, I believe, in the YouTube chat, and you can subscribe to her channel right that way. And then, of course, we have the most obvious Occam's Razor, and you can see that our friend Ruski Orkbot three thousand posted this one, right? That mm-hmm. Russia invested billions into Nord Stream one and two, then sailed undetected all the way to Poland, exactly where the U.S. Navy was testing underdo- underwater drones days prior, and blew up their own pipeline. Yes, complete clown show. So that is our fun Nord Stream whodunit segment. Um, I think we cracked a case. But whether it was Ukraine or it was UK, again, I'm not really sure. I think that this guy does make a pretty decent case that Ukraine has the means the desire and the lack of fear about nuclear escalation because they're already attacking their own nuclear plants to try to get who knows what. Well, allegedly, allegedly, but. That also seems to make sense.
0: Allegedly. Allegedly.
1: Mm. All right. We got a
2: bunch of peeps here. All right. We got Warren in the chat. Extra booyah. Booyah. And Lucy's here. Like I said, blue moon, red wine. We're carrying signs now. Giggity. She did, uh, did. I did see a giggity from signs. What's up, Colin? We got Care Bear. Lazy quackhole, welcome.
0: Hey,
2: I saw Oz was in the chat before. If he's still listening, welcome, Oz. Good to see you, and I'm sure it'll be Oz at clock. Oz at clock. I don't know about 1:30. Um, it might have been Paul Pelosi. You know, look, he's been. I'm not going to use the joke, but but I saw today somebody made the joke. I guess I will use it. That uh, that twice Stop. in the last. Well, Twice in the last six months that he's been involved in a police incident, and both times he was hammered. No, oh, oh, stop! I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I'm Hammer going. To, I'm Dang going to hell. It. I apologize to the, babe, to the Dang baby to the baby and the Keep little pygmies down in New Guinea. Um, tribute Dang to Larry the Dang Cable it. Guy. All right, so um, stop. Kel- Kelly M. Oh, the wonderful Kelly M. And as yeah, Warren always calls you. His love, Kelly M. and Jimmy as well. I'm sure Jimmy's here somewhere. She's not already. Uh, Anthony Malecki, marked safe from hammer-wielding sex worker today. Good. Thank you very much. Too soon. Yes, uh, I guess it was too soon. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. I, I feel awful, awful about that terrible joke that somebody else told on Twitter. It was not me. I'm repeating will, somebody else's you words. You
0: apologize to I'm, Baby, in New Guinea. To the baby, to the baby, baby pigness and Papua New Guinea. I, I apologize.
2: I apologize. I, I'm, I'm going to hell. Uh, okay, so uh, I got, I got some stories about labor, but they're not really about labor. All right, so
1: it's about financing labor. All right, so here's the deal. Like, here's the deal, jack We got to get some Joe Biden. Joe Biden.
2: We actually need to get uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Mike mccray doing Joe Biden. Um, because they're good. But here, it's time for labor's fortress. It's time to tap into labor's fortress of finance. What's the thing I talk about all the time? Incessantly.
0: We can't... fortress of solitude with Solomon Grundy and... Solomon Gurbine. Well,
2: no, no. Okay. No, no. The fortress of finance. First of all, that we... If you want to have a general strike, how are you going to make sure that these people can still eat and get paid and live? You need money. So... What are we talking about here? Well,
1: unions like this
2: says, well, no, no. This is not like, well, a little bit, a little bit, but not, not really. No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Despite
0: the recent upsurge. Oh, no, it's
2: not. No. No. Despite the recent upsurge in
0: it absolutely will be. But Worker yes, militancy,
2: union membership, and density have been declining for decades. We know this. But a close look at labor's finances suggests that unions have the economic resources to potentially reverse this decline. Hmm. What do you mean? Standard explanations for labor's decline blame, uh, blame our grossly unfair labor laws, full-scale corporate attack on organizing and collective bargaining, and economic trends including the decline of manufacturing. Of course. But labor is not a passive bystander. Unions have the resources to deploy new organizing and growth. They have chosen to pursue a defensive financial strategy instead. Consider the NEA. Since 2010, its membership has declined by nearly 300,000, while its net assets have more than doubled. The UAW has seen member, membership drop by 20% since 2007, yet over the last three years, less than 10% of its budget was spent on organizing. 25 years ago, John Sweeney was elected to lead the AFL CIO after a vigorous debate about organizing strategy. Sweeney set out real organizing goals for the affiliate unions and proposed that they devote 30% of their budgets to organizing. Many of the affiliates rebelled. And the goal was quietly shelved. So today, Unite Here, and that's uh, Chris uh, or Boehner's former union, Unite Here is one of the few unions that devotes significant resources to organizing up to 50% of its budget, consistently running operating deficits, spending more than, than its dues revenue. As a result, it was one of the fastest-scoring <laughs> unions. Yes, well, <laughs> thanks, Rich. It was one of the fastest growing unions before the pandemic, increasing its membership by 34% from 2010 to 2019. That's a huge increase in a time when most union membership had been declining substantially. But here's what's interesting is that flush with cash. So in 2021, large unions booked $18 billion in revenue, mostly from dues and spent $15.5 billion in operating expenses, which leaves a surplus combined of, let's do the math, $2.5 billion. Though labor's revenues are far less than those of business associations, they're substantially bigger than those of environmental, human rights, and political organizations. Really, so where did the numbers come from? The Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act requires unions to file financial reports every year. These reports are publicly available at the, the DOL website. So this financial analysis used the form LM2, which is required for labor organizations with a quarter of a million dollars or more in total annual receipts. Smaller unions, which filed the form LM3 or LM4, were not included. These are just the figures in revenues and assets for this piece, which represent the sum total of all unions filing LM2s, which are the big ones. All right and this is found at radishresearch.org you can read the full report there All right. in 2021 organized labor held 31.6 billion dollars in net assets minus you know, that's that's total assets minus debt that is more money than any us foundation but one the bill and melinda gates foundation with 48 billion they've got substantial resources okay while well, union membership declined by more than 700000 from 2010 to 2021, total revenues increased by 33% over the decade thanks to higher dues because the average rose from $778 per member in 2010 to 1089 in 2021, but also significant increases in investment, rental, and miscellaneous income, such as government training funds, and royalties from selling membership lists. <laughs> yeah, where do they sell those membership lists to? That's not cool, right? Meanwhile, meanwhile, unions cut staff meanwhile, by twenty percent. Yeah. Meanwhile, of, in the Fortress of Evil,
0: at the unions the Fortress of Finance, yeah. in this case.
2: Well, no, at the <laughs> Fortress of Union Headquarters, unions cut staff by twenty percent. They employed almost twenty-five thousand fewer employees in twenty twenty-one than they did in twenty ten, a twenty percent decline in the workforce. All right, that's management positions in unions however of course increased by 64% and more than 10,000 union employees now earn salaries of over 125,000 which is good for them um that's that's a a living sustainable wage in most cities I'm I'm happy for them but I wish the workers were earning that and it was more balanced yep. unions also paid at an average of 78 million a year in strike benefits during this time which is less than half of a percent of net assets or revenues in most
1: years. Overall, union spending increased only 18% over the decade. That's crazy. They took in all this extra money. They put nothing towards strikes. They put nothing towards spending on the union. And as a result, unions generated large budget surpluses,
2: and their net assets more than doubled. If these trends continue, labor's assets could double again by 2031. So these figures suggest that labor had substantial assets available to deploy to
1: new organizing and growth, but chose not to do so. I think we already kind of surmised that. Instead,
2: to the degree it's pursuing any conscious strategy the labor movement has followed the one laid out in a 2013 article by union researcher Richard Yeselon, Fortress unionism. Yes, uh, Yeselson. Yeselson. That's a, that's another mouthful. Mouthful. Argued that due to the straitjacket of labor law and an uninterested working class, labor should not undertake lengthy and expensive campaigns to organize new sectors. Organizing workers takes too much time, he wrote, and it costs too much money, too much in money and staff resources to do so over that long period of time. He counseled that labor should work to buttress the areas in which it's already strong and defend the remaining high-density regions, sectors, and companies. Yeah, but that leaves tons of workers in the cold and screwed over, so screw off. No. I say no. Meanwhile, unions should wait for the workers to say that they've had enough, at which point workers themselves would militantly signal that they want unions. Yeah, that's going to happen, as you can tell from what's happening at Amazon. It's long past time to adapt a dramatically different approach. We shouldn't let labor hide behind the the, the idea that it doesn't have the resources to fund large-scale organizing. It does. We should demand that our unions, from the local level to the AFL-CIO headquarters, back to the current upsurge with a massive investment uh, that they backed the current upsurge with a massive investment of resources. Yes. Training labor could theoretically afford to it. How about this? He's going to lay out, you know, again, we don't just complain here. We talk about solutions. What can we do with this money? Three and a half billion dollars. We can hire 20,000 new organizers with union density hovering at 10% of the workforce. Every established union has the the opportunity to expand and organize within its industries, building upon its existing power. What else could they do? The real powers and the rank and filers who could lead organizing campaigns, labor has the finances to recruit and train these worker leaders who are hungry to be part of a larger labor movement and organize their fellow workers. The problem there is that the, the, the labor leaders don't really want these worker leaders you know, the, the rank and filers to actually have power because it reduces the power of the labor leaders. But they could also boost the funding of worker centers and, and independent unions, increasing grants and contributions to a billion and a half. Currently, labor spends just $382 million on contributions and grants to outside groups, which is only 1.2% of the, of its net assets. That's a disgrace. In contrast, foundations... Must pay out 5% to maintain tax tax exempt status. So they should at least be paying out 5%. So that's the logic of saying to go from 382 million to 1.5 billion, that's to go from 1.2% to 5%.
1: That's just to keep up with tax exempt companies or tax exempt organizations. See, I knew Jimmy would be along. Hi, Jimmy. Many labor sure. leaders would bristle
2: at the comparison to uh, to, to f- foundations, right? Of course they would, since union assets belong to the members. Yes, true, but these assets are also the legacy of prior worker movements and struggles, and unions rarely win first I contracts. Bristle, what?
0: Okay, they cringe. What exactly is a bristle? <laughs> i okay. I would
2: say it's more a cringe many labor le- leaders would well again I don't want to change chris's words here but i would i would say that it's cringe they would cringe at the comparison to, to foundations or they'd get angry or they would get a little bit upset or or sandy or salty all right since union assets you again
0: become like porcupines got it oh well,
2: i i could i could go That's on and be and, and be a thesaurus but yes
1: uh-huh
2: <laughs> <laughs> Unions are rarely again win first contracts without support from other unions and social justice movements, so paying out as a foundation type of thing again, unions should even probably get tax exempt status i'd I'd be okay with that more than churches they at least support workers, sure the tens of millions of unorganized workers have no legal claim on labor's assets, but perhaps they have a moral claim <laughs> all right radically incre- they could also radically increase strike activity spending a billion dollars a year on strike benefits which would be more than 10 times what unions currently spend could you imagine if they dumped a billion dollars at the strike funds this is what i've been talking about this is where we need the money right they could also capitalize One a new 3 billion dollars right. they could also capitalize a new 3 billion dollar entity or entities they could engage in riskier civil disobedience activities like illegal strikes, secondary boycotts, or defiance of restrictive court injunctions on picketing and protest. That's a little riskier, um, considering that they've only, that they're only sitting on three and some odd billion in change. Um, no, thirty-one billion. So this is just of the thirty-one billion that they're sitting on. Historically, illegal attacks have been crucial to labor's growth, so why would we do that? But these days, unions shy away from such activities because they risk financial liability that could put labor's assets in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. So set up shadow organizations, right. That's why labor could, as Joe Burns proposed in reviving the strike, spin off organizations that engage in more militant activities, turning on its head the corporate tactic of double-breasting where a union employer sets up a parallel company to run Mm non-union. Imagine that these new entities committed financial assistance to workers and unions defying public employee strike bans, disobeying injunctions against picketing, or violating no-strike agreements in the private sector. I don't think that you're against this article necessarily. See, this is what I'm saying, bro. All right. With more strikes in the organized sectors of the economy, the landscape might start looking like the 1930s when union membership dramatically increased. So why isn't this happening? What's holding us back from adopting a more offensive posture? Well, financial inertia. Even as membership declines, labor as a whole has been able to run large budget surpluses and we know nearly double its net financial assets. Labor law reform and large-scale organizing do not seem to be necessary for labor's economic viability, at least in the short term. It's straight-up greed. A more aggressive approach might break the decades-long organizing stalemate in the U.S., but also subject the labor movement to significantly higher financial risk. Another challenge is that the resources of labor are dispersed among more than 10,000 entities grouped into more than a hundred union affiliations. How do you get to all of them? But even if a fraction, but if even a fraction of these unions meaningfully increase their spending and deployment of assets as the CIO, the Congress of industrial organizations did in the 1930s, it could substantively, substantively affect the landscape. Now, again, Shout out to Shadow Man Refugee, who, of course, would say, yes, totally agree. And he would say, he'd yell Taft Hartley, and he'd be like, this is ridiculous, and why are we even talking about this? I love you, man. The alternative to keep waiting for labor law reform is unacceptable. And I think he would agree with that, and I do too. In 2010, labor seemed poised to win the Employee Free Choice Act, only to be thwarted by moderate Democrats and the filibuster. Okay, so We know that was conservative right-wing Democrats. Today, the PRO Act seems headed to, to defeat by the same forces. But even if it wasn't, we know that that's also not necessarily a, uh, a, a pro-labor. Though there are some good things for labor, there are also some really bad things for labor in there. So changing this dynamic will require, and by the way, check out the shadow ban Refugee segment on Frank Analysis. It's actually in the INN sub-stack. If you go to Network. And you go to, I believe it is the pinned sub stack about Chris Smalls. In there, we have a video clip from Frank Analysis that features Shadow Refugee talking about the PRO Act and how it would effectively eliminate the Amazon labor union and roll all existing unions and need to make them required to be approved by a- AFL CIO, the Teamsters, and existing organizations
1: in order to even exist, which AOU does not. Yeah,
0: which is. Fucking wild. It is wild.
1: Yes.
2: Um, so, changing this dynamic will require labor to tear down the walls of fortress unionism, put its significant financial assets at risk, and fund a wide range of strategies to take advantage of the of the present historic moment. But, of course, we know this change is unlikely to come from the top. It's more likely to come from the workers, defying their union, defying their union leaders to strike against global corporations from reform movements for union democracy like the Carpenters did in Seattle, from public sector workers, even without formal unions, disobeying state bans on strikes, from members backing left candidates in defiance of union political directives like what's happening with Will Lehman in the the UAW right now, from independent unions defying conventional wisdom like Starbucks Workers United and like ALU to a point, um, And from Young Workers Impatient for Change and Intolerant of Bureaucratic Hierarchies. Also, shout out to the Trader Joe's Union, as well as to the Apple Workers Union. They're part of the CWA at offshoot. And you've got the Chipotle Workers Union. And you've got the nurses that are killing it right now. And the teachers in Brookline and Massachusetts that just won another concession. I mean, labor is really starting to move. Yes, Chris Chris Smalls ain't doing shit no more. They've been, you know, look, they lost in Albany. He's been fighting to stay relevant with, with Staten Island um, and expand, at least in the New York area. And, again, we support the effort to unionize. We want to unionize Amazon, and he's up against a mountain of a company that has a trillion dollars in Pinkertons at its, at its disposal, And he needs help, and he's – Either not looking for it or not getting it, and it's sad. But I don't even want to talk about Chris Small's. What I want to talk about here again is what's happening about these. Um, what's happening everywhere else in labor, and what can be done with the assets and money that's already out there. That it is this constellation of forces that could follow the money and seize the assets from a labor movement that has failed to seize the moment. So the AFL-CIO Executive Board has approved an increase in per capita fees to raise $10.8 million for an organizing fund. Hmm, what is this? The fund would increase the Fed's total spending next year to $105 million, which is a 12% increase from this year, but that total is still far below what the AFL-CIO was spending as recently as 2017. Hmm. how interesting. They laid off dozens of staff as part of a restructuring in late 2017, inaugurating a period of reduced spending. A leaked budget for 2018-19 showed that the federation was spending less than 10 percent on organizing, and that's, of course, our friend Hamilton Nolan over at uh, In These Times reported, down from 30 percent a decade earlier. So, what's going to happen to organizing when you spend 66 percent less? Even the new $10.8 million organizing fund is far less than the Federation spends on politics. Nevertheless, it's mildly encouraging that the AFL-CIO is increasing spending. I think they kind of have to. And if all labor is fo- just followed its lead and in increased spending by an organize- on unorganizing by 12%, we'd be talking about almost $2 billion in new spending. Now, that could be something. That would be something. Yeah, it's a little hopeful. And again, he is an activist who's worked with Unite Here, AFL-CIO, Teamsters. He's worked with all the different unions. Again, this guy is an organizing maven. And he's followed the money and he knows that the money is there. Um radishresearch.org. Shout out. That's some badass stuff right there. Um and I did have another another story about what are we doing and what can we do to, to stop union busting? But let's, let's pop in and say hi to everybody. Hi everybody. All right. That's my better Harry carry tonight. So we've got, we've got gear. We got Les bone. Luis is in the house. What's up, Anthony and signs. And what's Anthony's out on the road. We got Yippers here. Hi Yipper and Jimmy. Um, Who's, who's got to burn it? What What's going on? I don't know. I'm, I can't follow the chat. I'm going too far back. I just want to say hi to everybody. Um, happy Halloween. I think we're getting close. We're within uh, about a half hour. An hour. An hour. Within an hour. Yes. Uh, I know how to count. We can do math. We're, we have fun here. Okay. So this is um one of the last stories. I have two stories. So counter union busting. This is a quick one how to win NLRB cases against union busters. That sounds interesting. And again, this comes from labor notes. Also Phil Cohen. All right. Um, Every labor dispute is a battle between hope and fear is what he writes. And this is an interesting little cartoon that he includes as big brands like Amazon, Starbucks, Chipotle lash back at worker organizing. Union busting is getting long overdue exposure in the press, but, While these stories graphically depict the problem, they don't offer any solutions. We talk about that a lot. Though many of the common tactics of union busting are illegal, there are only insignificant penalties that fail to discourage its lucrative practice. This is the only area of law where attorneys can advise clients to commit perjury in federal court without fear of disbarment or even censure. A union leader who understands leverage and human nature, though, can unmask their deception. I love seeing that, exposing corporate lies. Can I frame that? right? Union busting on a plant-wide scale usually takes place under three circumstances, organizing drives, first contract negotiations, and attempts to decertify an existing local. We've seen all three of these things with ALU. The NLRB is a law enforcement agency connect, created by Congress and Pre- President FDR in 1935 to protect the rights of workers to form unions and engage in union activity. It violates federal law for employers to interfere with those rights, spelled out in the uh, National Labor Relations Act. Okay, Management is prohibited from threatening or coercing workers for union activity. It's illegal to show favoritism to anti-union employees while discriminating against pro-union employees. This is what the National Labor Relations Act says. Unfortunately, American labor law is filled with loopholes that are easy to exploit. So, when employers wish to demolish an organizing drive or union local, they attempt to maintain the appearance of of neutrality by using a select group of anti-union employees to carry out the dirty work. They often hire union-busting firms whose lawyers are experts at playing this game. Under our system of justice, everyone is innocent until proven guilty, including companies and the union busters they hire it becomes the union's job to prove that management is pulling the strings sure and here are some of the most common ways that companies engage in illegal union busting
1: allowing free union
2: uh, free run of the plant during uh, that's anti-union employees free run of the plant during work hours to criticize the union or circulate a petition to get rid of the union, legally referred to as free reign. Their challenge, The union's challenge is uh, proving that the company knew and didn't take action. This requires multiple witnesses putting management on the scene. Management also talked with workers saying that they'd be better off without a union. We've seen that. Management coercing workers into signing a decertification petition. We've seen them try to do that threatening to close the plant if there's a union we know that they've done that with Amazon and we know that of course Starbucks has done that promising raises or other improvements if there's no union and we know that Starbucks has famously done that and offered a two-tier wage system saying that the problem is that they need to negotiate with the union to be able to to raise the wages on the on the unionized employees um Interfering with the right to show union support in any way, so long as it doesn't interfere with production, including leaflet distribution at the plant gate or in the canteen. Or wearing union stickers and t-shirts. The NLRB defines this as protected activity. And they definitely have stopped Amazon employees from wearing union first or ALU badges or ALU clothing. Threatening, firing, or disciplining workers for engaging in protected activity. They've definitely done that. Spooky skeletons. Okay, you got to move that over a little bit. You got to move that over to the right.
0: I'll work on it. Okay. God, you got a thing to do.
2: Yeah, they got to immediately know. Well, you kind of distracted me there. You put it right in my field of vision. They immediately. Sorry, I
0: did, I'd put it in studio
2: mode. So. Yeah, thanks. Notify the union at the first. Yeah, that doesn't work. At the first sign of these illegal activities, right? An experienced union rapper lawyer will file charges with the NLRB. But it becomes the job of local union officers and stewards to investigate within the workplace to gather evidence supporting the charges. Good luck with that. But when they're conducting an investigation, they should be considered covert operations. Management and antis should never be confronted about their violations. It only serves to make them more careful. Better for them to remain arrogant and feel above the law. I above the law leading to mistakes that can be documented. If they're given a heads-up about the union's efforts, management will keep committing the same violations, only being more discreet about it. So it's essential to understand what distinguishes evidence from hearsay or common knowledge. Everybody knows is an evidence. We need to present witnesses to tell what they directly experienced. Somebody told me is an evidence. It's hearsay. We need witnesses who personally saw or heard something illegal and will testify to it under oath. There are two types of of evidence, cumulative and corroborative. It's best to have both. Cumulative is many people testifying about the same type of violation. Corroborative is the most powerful. Several people testifying about the same incident, obviously. This is where the magical blend of organizing and legal tactics comes into play. Many potential witnesses will be frightened. That's the whole point of company tactics. Management targets people they consider weak links, but some end up feeling shamed and angry instead. First step is convincing each witness to meet privately with the union rep or lawyer. If their information is good, the union will then have to persuade the witness to provide a sworn affidavit to an NLRB agent all the legal knowledge in the world is useless if one doesn't know how to talk to people and gain their trust. Yes. And witnesses have rights. Yep. So during this process, it's important to explain the protections granted by the NLRB to workers who testify. Affidavits are confidential. Agents are prohibited from revealing the identity of witnesses to management. They cannot be found out. I wrote it out. The moment a worker sits down with an agent, they are no longer the union's witness, they become a witness of the U.S. government. The government doesn't like its witnesses being tampered with. It's a serious violation of federal law to discipline, fire, or even harass a worker for testifying. A big corporation may have lots of power, but the US government has more. Yeah, tell that to our friend Matt Latrell. While charges are being investigated, keep workers keep workers informed boost morale, and discredit management. This in turn will inspire witnesses to come forward. Sure. Leaflet frequently. That's another thing they can do. They distribute union t-shirts and stickers. Ongoing shop floor presence of a labor dispute puts employers in awkward position with workers and lending institutions. The best way to keep people involved in a long-term campaign is to make it fun and entertaining. Humor is a powerful weapon. Poke fun at management and leaflets and cut the antis down to size. The antis being the anti-union workers that are siding with management, meaning what we also call them bootlickers.
1: Right?
2: In situations where a union has been certified but is without a contract, another important aspect of employer violations kicks in, unilateral changes. And you know what? I I do know there are situations in people that don't think that the... That, being part of a union is what's best for them their situation their workplace etc and i respect that i did not mean to poke fun by calling you all bootlickers that's not that's not my intent yes you did ta- no i'm yes, talking about did. i'm talking about the people who rat yes, out yes you did i'm talking about the narcs who rat out the union the the, the organizing employees that's different right if you're going now if you're I'm one not. of those fuck you i got no problem saying that yeah but in situations where, scat- where yeah. We're, well, not just scams. No, scams are brought in to, to cross a picket line. I'm talking about current That's employees it. that are that are riding on their for their fellow employees that are trying to organize to management so that management can start to screw with, penalize, retaliate against or fire the people that are doing that. OK, in situations where a union has been certified, but is without a contract, like in the case of um, Amazon is about to be. By NLRB, another important aspect of employer violations kicks in unilateral changes. Under a contract, terms and conditions have been negotiated, including areas where the company can make routine changes. Without a contract, on the other hand, management remains frozen in the status quo. Every minor job change, temporary layoff, reduction in hours, etc., must be negotiated. Starbucks is currently ignoring that order. Employers, like he says, pay little attention to this, document each instance, as often it leads to major payback awards. One of the most fulfilling days of my career took place in the conference room of a textile mill in 1996 after an illegal decertification was shot down by the board. Management wasn't present as I handed out checks totaling more than $50,000 to workers who had been affected by unilateral changes over a three-year period when the employer refused to bargain. (laughs)
0: Now: <gasps> <Maybe. laughs> It is a kiddie, a spooky kiddie. So
2: presenting a good case Spookums. backed by solid evidence isn't even enough. Most board agents are decent people who understand what's really taking place, but they're overworked, underpaid government employees who may take shortcuts and overlook some of the most important aspects of a charge. The NLRB needs to see the evidence through the union's eyes, and that requires knowing how to play the inside game. The union rep or attorney who filed the charges must meet regularly with the lead agent, follow up with briefs and position papers, and understand what's appropriate to go over the investigator when it's appropriate to go over the investigator's head to the U.S. attorney supervising the case or the board's regional director. You have a really fine line to walk. Now, if the what union about the wins its regional,
0: case, regional
2: right, the sub-regional managing, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. yes, the, the 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 steam pipe distribution truncation uh, a venue manager. So, if the union wins its case, when federal agents and attorneys feel the union has met its burden of proof, they issue a complaint against the company. It's the equivalent of indictment in a criminal case and will overturn any election tainted by management involvement. Okay, This is what happened in Bessemer, where they had to do a revote. Workers fired illegally will be reinstated with back pay, as happened with the Memphis Seven over at Starbucks. Uh, employers can appeal this in a process that takes a couple of years, but if the, if the union has a strong enough case, the employer will often make a business decision to cut its losses and negotiate. This usually happens when decertification attempts fail. Sometimes it happens during first contract campaigns too. Uh, Phil Cohen experienced this outcome at major corporations trying to decertify locals local such as Mohawk Industries and Kmart, and during a first contract negotiations at a certain mattress manufacturer. However, large companies that are being newly organized tend to milk the appeal process for all it's worth while committing new violations. Welcome to Amazon. This is where I hear what Amazon is doing. Don't buy into their efforts to break your spirit. Board charges give you a foundation for press coverage to end to portray self-righteous management as the outlaws they are. Combine this with a solid organizing strategy, and there may come a tipping point when management realizes the ongoing campaign is hurting profits. Of course it is. It's not only hurting profits, it's hurting their employees. Every labor dispute every labor dispute is a battle between hope and fear. Unions are at best at their best when we hope when when we help people Let me start that over. Unions are at their best when we help people find the courage to become their brothers and sisters keepers. Union busters think they know human nature but in fact they understand only weakness and how to exploit them. They always underestimate what can't be accomplished by a group of workers whose higher instincts have been inspired. Never underestimate that a small group of people can change the world. And why would you say that? Because it's the only thing that ever has. And I hate to quote the shit livery of Aaron Sorkin and the West Wing, but that is one of my favorite scenes. And then the cheesy, God bless America. Fuck you, Bradley Whitford, for that nonsense, but. That's a great scene. Cheese ball at the end, but really good. Um, Bill Cohen, who is this guy? Yeah, he's also pretty, pretty big. Uh, He's been 30 years in the field in defeating professional union busters. So he speaks from experience on how to actually win.
1: Uki. You're Uki. Actually, actually, according to this, you're Uki. Uki? Well, you know, whatever. Now, now you're Pookie. Well, um, you're new Jack. What up, Pookie?
2: <laughs> All right. So I got one more story, and this one is a really cool one. And I get, like I said, I think this one's actually gonna have some dis- spur some discussion. Um, and it's not gonna take that long. Right. So, uh, Lisa Catlett, good to see you. Uh, yes, ninety-two minutes. Really? Has it been that long? No, it's not ninety-two. It's only about eighty-two. We started about ten minutes in. 12 minutes in, so you can go back to about 12 minutes if you want to start start over, or you can start at 12 minutes when we're done. But yes, class traders. Um, all right. Last story:
1: live streaming traffic stops. Film the fuzz. What? Yeah. So what? The right to live stream
2: traffic stops debated at Fort Circuit. And again, this is a federal court. This is Courthouse News Service. Well, I used to use a whole lot more, but then they started referencing the AP a whole lot. And I noticed a lot of shit as well as a lot of championing of State Department narratives with regard to Russia-Ukraine.
1: However, this one was interesting. A shouting match erupted between a judge and an attorney
2: at a hearing over whether passengers in cars pulled over by police can broadcast their encounters with officers. What do you guys think about that? Should passengers in cars be able to film the fuzz, dude? That's distracting. Come on, come on, what? Come on, bro. What?
0: At least move that what? over cool to. You. At least
2: move that over and cover up the mic, the 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 bong the bong arm, with it. Uh, that what? that I can't I
0: can't even see that. I, I got, bro. I'm working on it. You're killing me over here.
1: <laughs> what are, you doing? are we telling
2: stories and playing games over here? And you should have done this before the show. Come We're on. Both. Come
0: on, bro. I should have. but I Yeah. Didn't. Thanks, man. All right. Do the show. Hey, cab. All Do cops it. are bad.
2: All cops are bastards. 40%. Google 40% of cops, everybody. 40% of cops, everybody. Okay. So. A three-judge panel on the Fourth Circuit heard lively arguments Thursday over whether whether officers have the right to prevent passengers from live-streaming traffic stops. Dijon Sharp was riding in a car that was pulled over in Winterville, North Carolina in 2018 when he decided to broadcast a police interaction in real-time on Facebook Live. According to to a nine-page complaint he filed in federal court the following year, Sharp is a black male who records and and broadcasts his interactions with law enforcement for his own protection. I think that's understandably so. Sharp says his First Amendment rights were violated when he was physically attacked by a Winterville police officer uh, after disclosing that he was live streaming the stop and when he was threatened with arrest by another officer if he attempted to broadcast such interactions in the future. The district court dismissed Sharp's lawsuit, finding it was not clearly established at the time of the incident that a passenger in a stopped vehicle has a constitutional right to record and livestream the interaction. Really? Sharp's attorneys disagree and said in their briefs to the Fourth Circuit that by October 2018, it was clearly established nationwide that individuals have a First Amendment right to record police officers in the discharge of their duties in public. It was also clearly established that such a right includes the right to disseminate those recordings in real time. I would say that that's a requirement because otherwise the, the cop can just get the device that's recording and dismantle it or confiscate it. Attorney Andrew Tutt of Arnold and Porter, who represented Sharp during oral arguments on Thursday, said the district court was wrong. This case raises questions that strike the very heart of the First Amendment's most important protections, he said. First Amendment, not Fourth. uh, First Amendment, Fourth District. Hutt began to tell the three-judge panel from the Fourth fourth Circuit that the right to film police officers in public is a clearly established First Amendment right, but he was hastily interrupted by U.S. Circuit Judge Paul Neermeyer, a George H.W. Bush appointee. What? Why? Huh? (coughs) Okay. The briefs on both sides spent a lot of time talking about a first amendment right to photograph police work in public, whether by the press or friends or other people watching and cases seem to support a first amendment claim there. And the debate in the brief seemed to be whether the fourth circuit ought to do that. And my question is whether that's relevant at all. What?
1: Uh, Effing F yes. Thank you, Jimmy.
2: Um, Nearbyer, says he thinks that the dispute actually arises from the Fourth Amendment, under which passengers and drivers are subject to the same level of police control during a stop and seizure. The difference here, he responded, is that Sharp was merely broadcasting passively. Right. So the officers had no specific or articulable reason to demand that the passenger stop broadcasting, and there was no governmental interest in doing so. Unless he planned to do something illegal, why would it be a problem if they're filming him? Interrupting Todd right. several times to reformulate his question, Nearmeyer asked, what rights does an officer have to maintain
1: control of the circumstances during a traffic stop? Well, okay, licking the boots of the cops,
2: Nearmeyer's line of questioning devolved yep. into a period of the judge and attorney talking over each other in increasingly irritated tones, until the voice of U.S. District uh, U.S. Circuit Judge Julius Richardson cut through the noise. Quote, I think he's trying to ask you a question, Richardson, a Trump appointee, told the attorney. He sternly added, "I'm not sure why you're so excited right now, but I think you want to try to answer his question
1: and not talk over him." <sighs> Bootlicking fucking cop defenders. An apology from Tut followed a
2: brief stunned silence from the courtroom. Yeah, they can't believe it either. What are these dudes doing? Nearmeyer asked how limiting passenger live streaming might benefit the safety of officers, but continued to interrupt the attorney until his time was up. They ran the clock out on him. Quote, as I think your honors have recognized through questioning, this is not a case about whether this is a, there is a general right to record police officers in their public duties. Okay, and that's the one who represented the the cops during the hearing. He added that this is simply not before the court. What is before the court is the right of a passenger in a seized vehicle in a lawfully stopped traffic stop to live stream the encounter from within the vehicle. It's a seized vehicle when it's pulled over. I don't know if it's necessarily seized until they actually take some type of possession when of it's
0: it. Over, yeah, that's right. You have to like then be detained and like. Right. He yeah. said that in in this case, there actually is an
2: intersection of the First and Fourth Amendments. Again, that's why I think this is a fascinating story to talk about, because this is open-ended as to interpretation.
1: Mm.
2: All right. Now we've got Axel Strife Zero saying broadcasting isn't changing the circumstances of the traffic stop unless the cop is trying to do something illegal, which is exactly my contention. Why do you care unless you're doing something wrong? All right. Because the possibility is there that, that it can film you doing something wrong and then indict you. Well, incriminate you, well, then don't do something wrong. U.S. District Judge Michael mm-hmm. Michael uh, Nakmanoff, an, an appointee of Biden, sitting by designation from the Eastern District of Virginia, asked Hartzog whether every traffic stop can become one in which the individuals are asked to get out of their car. quote mm-hmm. I think the general case law is in this, Your Honor, is that the inherent dangerousness of traffic stops is long recognized by the Supreme Court, not based on the fact that well, this is just a minor traffic stop, but based on the potential for the traffic stop to turn into a more serious, potentially deadly, violent encounter, he responded. More kaput-looking. Nachmanov pressed, So the mother of five small children is pulled over for running through the stop sign can be viewed as potentially dangerous and asked to be stepped out of the car and frisked because she might be armed? Well, yeah. This might be. Might be. be The attorney responded, well, it's a matter of reasonableness and proceeded to defend the position that this is a Fourth Amendment and not a First Amendment case. So they're trying to get it dismissed on the fact that that it's not even really applicable. So then you've got Joseph McGinnis, who represents the Southern States Police, uh, the PBA, another bootlicking lawyer, filed a motion earlier this year to intervene in the case and participate in the arguments. Yeah, I wonder which side he's going to fall on. Quote officers have legal duties, responsibilities, and protocols to follow. And what they are taught and trained is to look at these two things that God gave us, the hands, and the things that are in those hands, especially when it is a metal object like a cell phone that can be that can be and has been used as weapons,
1: he told the panel. So now a cell phone is a weapon. <clears throat> yeah. When it films you actually doing
2: something illegal, it certainly counts as a weapon against you being a cop anymore. However, this group argues that recording should be allowed as long as it's not live broadcasting. Again, so that they can then take the device and stomp it? They cited concerns that a live streamer might call local gang members to come attack officers on the scene. That's a valid point. Okay, yes, but How often is that going to happen versus filming dirty cops and exposing them for what they're doing, which is happening more often. Have a good night, Gary. Good to see you. Uh, The purpose of live streaming a stop is to hold everyone at the scene accountable, he said during a rebuttal. He explained that Sharp's interest when it comes to live streaming is both fear and actually deterring wrongdoing by the officers. Yes, they're supposed to be afraid to do something wrong because they're on camera. And usually they turn off their body camera. They somehow aren't working. It point. helps to L.A., that anxiety that individuals feel when they are at a traffic stop with police officers and they don't know what, these, what those officers are going to do. There are people who
1: fear the police. It's just an unfortunate fact. The judges did not indicate when a decision will be made.
0: Uh, so, hopefully never, I'm sure, is what the judges are hoping.
1: Um, that's what I got. That was 90 minutes of stories. We can clip those up. That wasn't
2: too bad. That was our vegetables for the week. Um Thanks. That's all our websites. Um independentleft.shop. We do have Bongfather merch. You can get slippers, you can get hats, you can get t-shirts, you can get all kinds of cool stuff there. I got to add some more stuff to it. I got to add some of this these new logos too. People said they would buy it. Uh there's also INN merch which you can get at indienews.network. Uh Somewhere is that on there somewhere? Indie news.network. I guess it's not. Oh, that's weird. I we got the INN member in the middle. Um, so check out I. Oh, hey, there's there's the link, indie news.network. Somewhere. It's coming up soon. On, um indieleft.com, indie left.news.media is where all the link trees are. Indimedia.today is our substack. Okay, and then you have the longer names.shop and indie media today.com. Also, we do own indie media today.com. We did buy .com. And by the way, everybody go check out Tara Reed Podcast, R E A D E Podcast.com. That's a new link to her link tree. Direct link there. And it's a whole lot easier than going to linktr.ee, blah 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 blah. Just go to tara A Whole lot easier. So um oh, that's awesome. Axel, that's great. Great to hear about you guys through due dissidents. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Those guys are great also. Keaton and Russ are, are good dudes like in their show. Somebody calls them the new Vanguard, but uh, I would, I would say that they'd be insulted by that. And I, and I, I would say that they're, they're substantially uh, better, but they're, they take a similar track. They're crapping on TYT. They're, I, I, li- I like their content and Keaton's fun. And I've been talking with these guys and uh, Keaton's going to come on INN news the day after election day with, with reef and Collins, So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, okay. So, Hey, Oh, Holy moly, look at Reef. Reef's got a whole thing going on over here. You realize that you're about to do boats, and you got to turn all those off, right?
0: I don't need to turn all of them off.
2: Oh, right. You're just going to be down in the corner, right?
0: Down on the corner. Yep. Out in the street.
2: Axel Ed. Yes, we got Axel Ed. We got everybody's in here. 22 watching live. Plus, we got people on the Rockfin. We are live on two different Rumble channels. We're live on two different Odyssey channels. We're live on Telegram. We're live on Substack. We're live on IndieLeft.News. You can actually go, and we are live streaming, self-hosted. Screw the algorithms. Screw all the other platforms. Go right to our website, and you can watch us live right there, and you can watch Reef do Boats. And by the way, this is the only place on the live streams you can watch Boats. We don't clip Boats. Uh, You can go back and watch the live stream replays. But you have to watch the live streams in order to get uh in order to get boats. Yeah, so that's our that's our how did we miss that for tonight? Nice screenshot, whatever that was. We're screen capping.
0: Yep. Um mm-hmm.
2: so yeah, when you realize how the how how quick the propaganda is, it really is mind blowing. Totally agree with you there, Warren. Uh shout out to Uncle Warren. Go follow Extra Booya over on Rockfin over on Rumble, over on everywhere. Shout out to Action Booyah. He's over on INN. Go to IndieNews.network. You'll be able to find his links too. Um I man. We're out we're out. We're, we're we're two and a half hours already. Uh I'm I'm just gonna bail. Uh we got some crazy stuff coming up this week. Follow IndieNews.network. Uh go to YouTube channel, rockfin.com slash You'll see the clips this week put out. Thanks to Fanto for, for getting us those. Shout out to again Big Mac Crab for all the thumbnails that we put out tonight, and uh, and and again for this kick ass outro song that we're gonna do. So before that, I'm gonna say question, keep questioning everybody's motivations, and have a good night, everybody. Where are you?
0: Good night. What? What? Oh yeah, there's a <laughs> keep listening. What little birds have to tell you. Good night, friends.
1: <laughs> I think I liked it better being blind. When I couldn't read between the lines. And when I couldn't see the cracks in the structure that lay bare before me the whole time. I think I liked it better back when I suspended disbelief and swallowed
0: pride. I thought I knew the difference in the red from the blue, but they both bleed us so dry. They both bleed us so dry.
2: My favorite songs don't hit the same way. I get to the end of
1: a 4 minute track and I'm only looking back thinking what did they actually say So I try tried-